Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. What other P-Funk drummers besides Tyrone did you uh, have? Dennis Chambers. Yeah. Dennis Chambers, yeah. Yeah, I Dennis about month ago, three weeks ago. So. He's a monster on drums, yeah. Oh yeah, he, he was great. Uh, we had a funny a funny story. Uh, we used to do our solo, um, like Tyrone and I did, whatever. And uh, Dennis, you know, he just, there's a few people, uh, you know, it was in George Benson's band for a while. Uh, Dennis, I can name a few guys. When you think they played everything, they'll just like go to another. So, one of the funny stories is one night Dennis is we're doing our solo and he Dennis will just give you a smile and he'll just you can just explode you know so I go up to him he's telling I I went we traded I did my thing then he was doing his thing and I showed up to him I go he played that shit last night he gave me that smile it's just you know like almost blew me off the rise <laughs> so yeah he's funny he's like. He's another character. He's a great, 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 great drummer. Yeah. Just innate. innate. Yeah. And I love that he's still doing it, too. Um, uh, Purdy, another one of my drumming partners with Aretha for quite a few years. Um, people like Steve Jordan, Narda, different people have come through subbing in that band. That was an interesting band because we were all, all of us played in other bands. Some guys fit the mansion, they sat the other. But Aretha, you know, when she called, that was your first. And the queen called. So that Did was, you have any dialogue with her or you just. Uh, yeah, she liked yeah. me. I liked her. Um, she, uh, you know, I, I guess I had a. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm professional, I'm on time, I look good, I can play my parts. I know uh, I do that mostly because if anybody wants to call me out on anything, I can go, what? <laughs> so sort of protecting myself in this dog eat dog environment. But um, she liked me, we would, you know, she didn't fly. I got with her right before everything took off again, freeway of love. She was, right before that took off, that was like her. And everything went all the way again. And, and of course, introduced it to much wider eye. So, um, right before that, she, you know, she had a bad experience in the plane, and so she didn't fly ever again. Uh, she tried a couple things; she couldn't do it. But 
So she would have the bus. Uh, so sometimes, like you say, we were all flying in. Most of the band was from LA. At that point, I think I was me and maybe one other guy from Detroit, mostly LA, New York, you know, a lot of the heavy hitters. And, um, but she would take the bus and sometimes she'd, she'd want me to ride the bus because she'd be reading a book, I'd be reading a book, and we, we would talk about that. And she was a great cook. She would cook for the bus, you know. But we, we could never, we go, all we would do is East Coast at that point, you know, and up and down south. Um, she, she couldn't go, like, to New York, we would stop and clean. <laughs> she doesn't go that far. Take out all her Louis Vuitton or Yves Saint Laurent luggage at 20 and whatever. <laughs> so she was, yeah. And what I loved about her, she, uh, I was there with my family uh, at one show, and she's like, Larry, she waved me over with the family because she wants a picture with us. Yeah, we got along great. I miss her. I miss her. Never heard her get a clunk. And if you, you know, when you said you play with the Queen or Aretha, everybody knew who that was. It's quite an You continued to record on George Clinton's solo records on Capitol and stuff even after that. So um, obviously he liked what you brought a lot, um, but also. A lot of players stopped working with him for whatever reason. Maybe it was money. Maybe it was drugs. Maybe it was personalities. Who knows what? But it seems like you were able to stay with it for a long time. How come you think it worked out that way? I would come in for sessions, but I I wasn't playing any live shows or involved in the organization per se. And then I was making sure I was taking care of the record companies or whatever, or have my money when I come in. See, things like that. They have to by the nature of the business or the people in it. So you just, it would, uh, and, and some of that stuff, I'm sure is samples from some of the other uh, stuff in, in a lot of stuff in the can. There's some stuff I wish I could hear that just Eddie Hazel and I did before Eddie passed. Uh, that was just guitar and like wild percussion. I had all my stuff set up and he was playing Hendrix guitar. And I, we don't know where, I don't know where that stuff is. You know, that was it. Get in there and, you know, 24 track tapes, there's big rooms, you know, stuff would get lost or there'd be a leak, you know, and it would destroy some of the tapes. I don't know if some of that's lost forever or who knows. Still might be coming out in some people. Did you get to know Eddie Hazel at all? Not that. I mean, just playing together. Uh, I played on one of his records, I think, and then we, we just did some jam, you know, things together. But he was leaving at that point to do like his stuff because I was sort of coming in. You know, so sort of can I can I force you to, to pick uh, a favorite? Uh, if you had to uh, pick between Eddie Hazel, Mike Hampton, and Blackbird, who do you think is the most impressive? Well, they all have their own things. I love Blackbird. Uh, Michael's got his thing because it's just different things. You know, Blackbird's got coming from that jazz influence too, headhunters and things. And, you know, Michael's been just stewed in the funk there since 17. And then you had Eddie, who was, uh, I want to say, more eclectic, might I say, or more, you know, uh, 
But uh, God, that's a hard one to say, you know, because uh, I didn't, I say, get enough uh, playing with Eddie, but yet Black Crew and Michael, I did, but they're just different. They both are great, you know. I grew up with Hampton pretty much in the late seventies when I really got into it. So he was always my guy. Uh, but um, yeah, they are different. No, no doubt. I mean, Blackbird is, is very different player from, from Hampton for sure. And Eddie's the originator. So. Yeah. I mean, Eddie, I mean, that's like I say, not enough. Um, Cause I would have liked to play with them more, but I mean, I do remember we had a heck of a day. We had some lot of fun together. Just, Two of us, we recorded a couple, you know, like three hour session. So I wish I could hear it. And then one way you've done some work with uh, another great funk act. Um, you worked with Al Hudson and David Roberson or. Yep. Uh, they would call me, like I say, session work. You know, a lot of times producers or working in the same studio they're here saying, well, we did that. Oh, it's hilarious. I get the call. And so that's where a lot of that came about. And working in the different studios, because I think a lot of that was done at Sound Suite. Um, some of it at probably uh, United also later around. I think a lot of it at John Lewis's place, uh, where, like you said, the, the Don was started. Well, it was not was started. That was over on, uh, that would be on Puritan. That'd be like the west side of Detroit. When you were doing other funk, like a one-way, did they ever say, you know, like reference maybe something from the P-Funk catalog that maybe you were involved with and say, we want to get something like that? A lot of times, like, give, give us that One Nation stuff, you know. And everybody, uh, the Kulika the, 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 the sort of, uh, it was different. There's people like, oh, that changed the face of funk or something, which whatever, neither here nor there. But the quick of being ah in that instrument, and then for, you know, to go, but then the rhythmic thing too, you know, because they say between the four layers, there's quicka, timbales, so there's whistles, so there's colors, textures, and rhythm. And so there's a lot there. I'm one nation, for instance, that they'd be like, oh, give us that. This. So One Nation tended to be more of the, because that really was my claim to fame. Yeah, there's even a banjo on, on One Nation. Bobby Lewis. Yeah. Bobby Lewis. He's another friend, a great player. Uh, great. Uh, he was a, in a vocal group. I wish I could remember their name back in like the 60s. And then uh, he had his band in Detroit for many, many years. I didn't know the technical name for that drum. I always call it the talking drum, you know, but uh, like Doc Gibbs, I used to really like what he did with it with uh, Grover Washington. And around the same time as Knee Deep, Cameo with I Just Want to Be, they were using it heavily too. And um, yeah, really cool. Adds a lot. I, um, the Kuika is the, it's either C-U-I-C-A or Q-U-I-C-A. Kuika, because they usually... Uh, for instance, the Africans, the, the bombo, the, the bombo, the, the bombo, it's bombo, bombo, they name it a doom doom But the kuika, named after that, the talking drum, though, for, for us percussionists, is actually the hourglass drum with strings, 
You know that one? African drum. If I've heard it, I'm sure. Hourglass and it's got strings and you squeeze it. So that's really what they call talking about this. I think it's supposed to speak Swahili, but they also do refer to the, the Kwika as a talking. Yeah, but the formal name, friction drum is really the, the, really the, the distinguishing characters. Mm -hmm. The last thing I was asking you before we were so rudely interrupted was, uh, you know, during your time with George Clinton post-Funkadelic on those records, uh, was there any performance or track that's particularly memorable for you? Like, I don't know if you were on Atomic Dog or any of those other tracks on his records that kind of got, you know, more attention. Um, I think it would be somewhat like the other stuff, like maybe a bride's tune or something like that, or horny horn song, and blow by blow, I think, because those would be where I got um, played a little bit more, uh, or got to, uh, they say the horny horn's a little jazzy or a little funky, uh, uh, a little more playing going on, I guess, uh, uh, as opposed to uh, the vocal, the vocals, so. You know, whenever it's all tends to be more music. So, um, but gosh, I don't. You know, I really did. I did you get? Did you get to uh, meet Fred Wesley and Maceo? Uh, Fred, uh, Fred, yeah, those guys, of course, Kush and Fred and Maceo. Maceo, you know, uh, Maceo and I were both driving Cougar wagons at that time. They only made them one year, so that we laughed about that. We both had a Cougar wagon. So, yeah, those. I mean, those guys. Um, they were playing with Bootsy, so I would, you know, they were coming through the studio too. And at one, you know, one point, what they were the P Funk section <laughs> before. And I think, I think I was there when they were the section, and then the Baltimore guys come in or came in. I think it was that was that the end of that tour. So I, I, that's where I got to know them. I mean, you know, uh, you know. I'll say, say at least communicate with them and interact with them for, for a little bit. I saw Bootsy in 78, and with the Horny Horns, that band was so tight. It was incredible. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's that James Brown. Those are the guys, you know, coming out of that. They've been playing together, Catfish and Bootsy, and, you know, that was that was some funk. I like <laughs> Catfish a lot too, Bootsy's brother. What, what was he like? He was just a nice man, you know. He was just a, he, as Bootsy is flamboyant. He was more laid back, you know. So he was just nice. Older. He was more like George's generation, probably, right? Yes, yes, yes. I, I, you're definitely right about that. So funny. R reminiscing. How, how did you uh, connect with uh, Kid Rock? I got the call. I actually had done things with Marlon, the guitar player, different projects around town, you know, for all the records we're on and uh, that are, you know about. There's lots of records we have all played on you don't know about. People like rich guys that are promoting their singer, the usual, their, their singer girlfriend and throwing money behind it and we're doing tunes and recording stuff, and, you know, a lot of that going on for all the ones that have made it. There's a lot that I haven't. And 
still a lot of work put into all that stuff. So Marlon and I did a bunch of, a few of those along the way. And he recommended me to Bob when he wanted some percussion on rock and roll Jesus. So 2007. Okay. Yeah. I just had Shirley Hayden on and she was talking about, she was on some of the earlier kid rock stuff, or maybe you had crossover. I don't know. No, that would have been earlier um, um, before I was there. And then Bob expanded the band at the Rock and Roll Jesus to uh, a couple background singers uh, and myself and a horn player, David McMurray. So he didn't usually carry a horn player or percussion couple, some guy. I think he had a guy playing congas for a minute or something. And you go out. You go out on the road with uh, Kid Rock's show too. I'm sorry. You go. You tour with Kid Rock as well. Yeah, I have. Like I said, for 15 years. Wow. Five stuff. Yeah. What's uh? What's one or two uh, memorable experiences from that? Wow, great ones. I got to play in the Jungle Room. Uh, The only other band to play in the Jungle Room was Elvis's band, and then when we do. the acoustic unplugged, as we call them. I, I tend to be the drummer because I play the home, the box. So then Steph plays tambourine or shaker, but I, I, so I get to be, when they're playing acoustic guitars, acoustic bass. So that the, the jungle room, and then also the Motown studios, the snake pit, um, being in there, those are some definitely memorable. And, Playing the master's course with Bob. I played the master's course. I'm a golfer, and he picked up golf along the way. Uh, and uh, that's, they can't even be on your bucket list, you know. You can only play the course if you know a member. So there's what, I forgot, 300, less than 400 members, I think. There's no tea times. <laughs> it's crazy. I played the White House with Aretha. I think the Masters was almost hard to get to get into. There's Georgia State Troopers out there. You got those big concrete things that come up out of it. You know that's a Bull- very, bullards. Yeah, very very elite. Uh, is, is he is he a good golfer? Are you good, a good golfer? Because he's really he really took a a, a a liking to it and then got some instruction and you know he. Uh, the, the funny one is, you know, Bob's like certain people just, he's like just blessed, you know. He's on a golf tournament, Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson, stand, not Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholas is standing next to him. And Bob gets a hole in one on a par three, right? Wow. <laughs> funny stuff. A hole in one. Wow. Things with Bob, let's see. Oh, golly. Uh, as far as shows or just, like I say, uh, when he broke up with, I when first got with the band, uh, I said, I felt like, I feel like Gilligan, because we, he, I quit touring, actually, I had my studio and had uh, a few groups uh, of my uh, world music things going and group, things I was doing, teaching a little, doing clinics, I think I had a column in the drum magazine at the time, and uh, uh Bob, we played on Rock and Roll Jesus in January. Then in August, he said, would you go to Vegas? Just play one song on this Larry the Cable guy special. 
all right, uh, you know, all right, let's, I'll do it. I had never played Vegas, believe it or not, and all these things I had done. So I went and played, and uh, then uh, we came back, and then, of course, two weeks later, so they're like, look, we're just doing a two-month tour. We just come out and do this two-month tour, you know, and I like the band, and David McMurray's my good buddy, you know, and he's like, you're going to go out? You want to go out? He's like, all right, let's go do it. So I say, I feel like Gilligan, whatever, a two-month tour. It's 15 years now. <laughs> so Time flies. I know. And it's just things started rolling and whatever, making money and, and enjoying it. I was enjoying it. And, uh, you know, it's pretty – and lately it's been, you know, we'd be going out on the weekend, so you, we would fly out on 3 o'clock. He'd have his – he had his private plane. We had one. And we would fly out of the airport over here, the executive airport, like three on a Friday, play a show Friday night, take the jet, the jet again to the next show Saturday, you know, at three o'clock again or something. Then police escort back to the jet, be driving home like Sunday morning at one o'clock. At that point, I just do two shows. And so in and out. So it's been like I could still do some other things around, you know, so it's been sort of surreal in some of that aspect sometimes. Quick. What, what's his approach to the studio like? Well, Bob pretty much, you know, he's a, a pretty much knows what he wants or in these days pretty much trying to do a lot. You know, he'd been trying to do so much, so much of it himself or getting people. But he's pretty much, a, um, he's like anal retentive <laughs> in the sense he's very, meticulous and our shows are like Broadway shows. I mean they're they're pretty much there's not a lot of improvisation is what I want to say. So it's more about um, I play a lot of things and you know from congas to timbales to timpani to cajon to shakers, tambourine, you know, so there's a lot to do. So it's more um, like playing a symphonic or a Broadway show as I said. I have different parts I'm required to do. If I switch on a tune and play drums or it just, it's part of, um, that doesn't vary. That, you know, it's much like if you were going to see a Broadway show. So it's more of the, uh, the precision of what I do, the, try to do that perfect, you know, where every hit is delicious, as I like to say. <laughs> So is he more into rehearsing than, say, Parliament Funkadelic was? Yeah, we didn't rehearse with, with P-Funk, per se. I, mean, I don't remember. Mostly sound checks and jamming. You know, I mean, there, I don't, we never, there was never, yeah, it was mostly done on the road at sound checks or different things. Or, I don't really remember rehearsing. So, I mean, because we were playing a lot in the studio and then basically learning the songs and taking them to the stage. And, you know, there was a lot more improvisation there, George directing, breaking it down. And, you know, so it was uh, much looser, definitely. It was too extreme. Very much. You were listed on credits as recent, I think, as um, Shake the Gate, which was a 2014 or 2015 Funkadelic CD, the first one in like 30 years or something. And 
I'm guessing that those were probably things in the can. Uh, definitely. I don't, I don't think I got paid for those. We'll see. I got to check on that. <laughs> hey, maybe this uh, interview is going to bring you some money in the, in the end. <laughs> Uh, you worked with uh, RJ's latest arrival. You were, are you on Shackles? Are you on that track? Uh, I could very well be. I don't know the track offhand, but uh, yeah, I worked with RJ's latest arrival. I think on a couple of things, actually. But gosh, you're really testing the memory. I would have done some homework. <laughs> yeah, well, no, Shackles is sort of a semi 80s classic dance funk track. So. I heard it, I would probably go, oh, yeah, because that's the worst part. I'm lousy with names of songs. Well, between the two of us, then we're going to be in bad shape because I can't, I can't hold a note, so I can't, like, replicate it for you. <laughs> <laughs> but I do that's remember, a- I remember names and, and stuff, so that's okay. Give me credit. I'm probably on it, because, but I don't know. I can't say off yet. You mentioned uh, a few times was not was. What was that experience like for you? It was a lot of fun. Don and I had a lot of fun. I would come in, uh, we'd work late, middle of the night. I'd come in after playing a gig and we would just uh, play with the tunes. He, he'd do what he'd want sometimes. Otherwise, he'd give me an idea of what he wanted. And we would, you know, try different things. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, he was, uh, I guess, uh, one of my friends said he heard an interview with him and, uh, Rick Rubin, because I guess Rick Rubin is uh, enamored with Don, and uh, Don gave me credit as one of the people. He said he was scared, like beyond being scared, and I was one of the people that helped him when he was here. That was one of the guys he could. But I was having fun with him. I liked Don a lot. You know, love him. We were. He, I hadn't seen him. He'd been so busy, and I was a little like Don. You know, I haven't. Uh, talked to him. He's oh, oh my God, you're like one of my best friend, one of my best friends. But he's just, you know, he's just been doing so much stuff. We just did the concert of colors here in Detroit. It was a P Funk tribute for this last year. And uh, in fact, one of the tunes that they were, we were learning it was uh, Tyrone and my uh, drum solo was on that. So it's like learning. That's there's an interesting learning a tune that you're played on, you know, so, uh, or I mean, uh, they'll be learning stuff, go, oh, who I am all, they're learning stuff that uh, I played on, I have, now I have to remember what the heck I was doing. <laughs> Is the solo part of a track or just its own solo? Yeah, you know, it was a real long P-Funk track, you know, one of our live shows, so I think it, it was probably 15 minutes, you know, we had a, a good five minutes, four or five minutes solo in there somewhere. Because Don went through and he wanted to, um, rather than just pull songs off of the records, Don was pulling from live shows to give it more of a P-Funk live show feel. So he had a lot of, the, a lot of players from Detroit that you know, are worthy of doing it. So it was, it was fun. It was fun. Wow. It was great hearing, yeah, that track and going, oh, wow, you know, learning a track I played on, that's fun. You know. how, how surprised are you that George is still out there on the road doing it? Okay, just turned, what, 80? Yeah. 80, the other, I see they're, they're celebrating in uh, Newark or somewhere. 
I got a blur. Uh, a play in Newark, Plainfield, Plainfield. That's Bernie's town. But uh, the barber shop. Uh, yeah, that's where it all started. The barber shop in New Jersey, George. Yeah, they were. But they they were. You know the. You know you. I even know you know the history. They were trying to be like the Temptations, Parliament. You know. Do do up, yeah. Do up, guys. So that's interesting to think about, you know, because I didn't really know that history I mean, back because I didn't know who the heck they were. Like I said when I first, I was just uh, like say back in the day playing on so much stuff and not taking uh, too much note, mostly on to the next thing. You know, I was just having such a ball, so and getting paid. So that's always good too. It's most of the time. <laughs> When was when was the last time that you had any interaction or communication with anyone related to the funk mob? I, I, I speak with Gabe Gonzalez. He was the, the one of the you know last uh, still is uh, I guess. When they, I don't I don't know if he is. He goes about one of them. So I talked to Gabe. Like I said I talked to Dennis. You know um, who I haven't really. I haven't really spoken with too many if I run across them as our paths are, you know, but I haven't really uh, spoke with uh, in Bootsy been a couple years. So I saw George, I think, well, that's been a couple years now too. Time flies. And especially with COVID and stuff, you know. So Bootsy would come out to our, when I'd come through with Bob, I get him some, you know, passes. He'd come and hang out and see the show. Um, he did that a few times in Cincinnati, and then oh, some of the other guys. When I first got with Bob, you know, I'd see them, they'd get them in. But I'm in and out a lot of times. I don't get to see as many people because we're playing that rock star thing. Run in and run out. I guess Bob likes that. I try to hang out sometimes. I got to catch my plane. <laughs> so. do, you, do you have any preference for funk versus rock versus uh, R&B or, you know, what's your real at-home sweet spot? Well, I love improvisational music, you know, no matter what it is, but in rhythmic music. So definitely funk, uh, world music, of course. Um, jazz, you know, jazz, uh, but... Um, like I say, ten, uh, things that are definitely coming from the Afro-Cuban side of things. And uh, um, as I say, I love Brazilian samba, uh, you know, uh, uh, so many of the rhythms from down there, uh, uh, Middle Eastern, what have you. But um, in pop music, it's usually, yes, funk because of the rhythmic, Variations, possibilities, world music and jazz, I guess. You know, it's, those would be the, the main ones. So much of the pop music or rap, too much four on the floor, not enough other stuff going on, you know. Nothing wrong with four on the floor, but I like, and then I like say I like greasy stuff, you know, New Orleans, New Orleans stuff, you know. Uh, I like music that breathes. Uh, uh, Computers, great, but music does not have to be done to, you know, uh, there's sections that groove, but 
music can ebb and flow. There's sections that can slow down, I believe. Go check out a symphony and stuff. So um, pop music's gotten a little bit into a, 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 a very narrow bit. lane. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll hopefully, uh, um, you know, some other possibilities will come to the forefront that will let people hear a little bit more than they're hearing. And it's, since the MTV uh, era, I guess people are hearing with their eyes most of the time, you know, rather than really listening. Uh, in vocals, like I, I guess I like um, I like music where there isn't vocals. I guess where it's just music because then you can it's a, the tune can be different to everybody. As soon as you put vocals on it, there it is. It's telling that story. So, I mean, I don't mind that. I'm not saying I mind things with vocals that as its place. But a lot of the music I like to, I, I like to play is melodies and things that you, the, the listener can sort of create their own story and they will all probably have a different one, you know? So I like that where music, it's up to you to interpret just the music to, so that you interpret the story you hear. Rather yeah. than you're told, music will tell you a story too. It's kind of what I tell people. I'm into rhythmic, focused music that has improvisational elements to it, and um, you know, singing's okay. And lyrics, if lyrics are good, it's a plus. But the main thing is that bedrock of of rhythm and taking it different places, and and the players have to obviously know what they're doing. And be able to work together, you know, so it's hard enough to keep a marriage or relationship together, but to have a band that can work together and, you know, uh, you create this other thing. It's like bata drumming, you know, the, the, I don't know if you see the three, they look like sort of hourglass, one side, they're going to play three of them. They come from the Yorubas, I believe, West Africa, but you have the, the, the Ia, Oh, 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 I always say it wrong. Okoko, uh, I always say Okonkolo, it's Okokono, whatever. And then uh, it's a tole, I believe, mother, father, and child. But when all, you don't have bata until all three play together. And that's much like an ensemble, the, the, the sum of the parts, you know, is so right. much, much greater. And how it, the dance, the ballet of it, of the, how the instruments feed and play off each other. And let's not forget, vocals are an instrument, the first instrument when you come out yelling. So it's like, yeah, you don't need every instrument on every song. So, you know, but that's what, as I say, uh, with pop culture and stuff that, you know, jazz used to be a uh, pop, pop music and they didn't have vocals on every tune. And we went through the rock era. We had a lot of, we had songs that, uh, there was ones that there was vocals, but a lot of improvisation. The yeah. album was rock. Yeah. Golden was, Age, for sure. It was great, you know. Yeah, yeah. Those albums still are stand, you know, stand on their own and people know, you know. So, you know, there's there just hasn't been a lot of that lately. And then, uh, with the computer thing where everything is surgically precise or can be, it can be a little, um, I don't know, 
maybe sterile or maybe um, mundane after a moment or, or pedestrian. Robotic. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. When, when um, you're, you're playing funk on the one, mm -hmm. does the percussion necessarily have to also be cued into the one or can it sort of weave in and out of it because it's doing its own thing? You know, how much of the percussion element needs to also be on the one? Well, I think that's your reference point, you know, and uh, how that's dressed up or set up, you know, space is a powerful weapon. So not playing certain places, I think, tends to be as important, sometimes more important than, than where you're playing is the things you don't play, which sets up the one. So, uh, you know, these are, uh, but uh, my stuff, as I said, in the percussion thing, unless I'm really laying down something that tends to be, be it a shaker part or something that really has to be, it, 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 even then it can, it, it's, it's definitely a little greasy, but um, uh, as I say, my, my stuff tends to be, uh, if it's not doing that, it can be more of a color or a texture or something that has more movement uh, in a greasy way than some of the other instruments are allowed maybe to do. But there's a room for that, of course, in the, in, the, the music we're speaking of, funk funk and jazz and world music because it's the way the whole animal breathes that's the important part where you can hear all those things coming together and it's like whoa this is like a pulsating living this tune is a living being <laughs> so i mean that's what we when it's like that it's like you're on a river or something you know you're just you're just right you're steering you know, you're just going down the river because it's just, you'll be swept down. <laughs> anyway, it's so powerful, you know. I think that's part of the genius of P-Funk is just it, it hit the one harder than anybody else, but also had all those other elements swirling in and around it that were just so different and unique to create that whole ambiance besides hitting the one as hard as it did. Yep. In a... Um, uh, it, I mean, it, had, it, was very, it was very organic, I guess, this would be the word. That would be a, a, good, a great word to add to it. And, uh, and, and that's what I liked about playing with P-Funk. We had all that, you know, what we're talking about. It, it was, yes, it's funk, but in funk, had that. But it had uh, a real, uh, what's the word I'm looking well, for? We had a lot of depth, for one thing. It is an animal, but a, a, a real... Um, living something to it, a spirit to it, is what I'm, I guess I'm looking for, you know, the real, the spirit of it was just um, um, like uh, religious, if I hate if it almost, you know, how it's spiritual, yeah. Yep. So, yeah. groove, nothing like the groove. Larry, before we uh, wind this up, I wanted to ask you what accomplishment or two are you most proud of in your music career? Well, I, Bretino's Bounce is definitely, you know, having a solo piece like that. I'm very, very, um, uh, I mean, that's something that 
that's like playing the masters. <laughs> that's, I don't know. That just happened. The cards fell in the right place. But um, I think the, the artist that I think I'm uh, proud of being viable every decade with an artist playing. I've always played with a major group since the 70s, you know, and played with obviously some great ones. So I'm really proud of, I guess, um, my legacy, I guess, or, you know, being- Longevity, able, yeah. Yeah, being able to do that, you know, also. Thank you, Lord. And uh, um, still having the enthusiasm for it and still feeling like a child. That's the other thing when you take up percussion need a couple of lifetimes for that, trying to play like Indian. Uh, you know, I could take 10 guys from around the world and give them almost the simplest of rhythm to play. They'd all play it just a little different. And I, so I tell my students, uh, you know, I can teach monkeys, I believe, to play these rhythms. What you have to do is absorb these, the fields of these different cultures, how these different cultures um, feel these rhythms and then interpret them. Um, they sent uh, guys from MIT over to tabla drumming, the, the Indian drums that you, they sit and play, Rabbi Shankar and all that. Those are some of the most uh, sophisticated drums on the planet for finger drumming, if not the most. Um, they sent guys from MIT over to start out how these, like, these tabla players would play, say a grouping of six. And they play it different way. You can't, it isn't. And we do this when we, instead of a computer, computer playing a grouping of six, I'll play a grouping of six where I might crowd it at the end or crowd it at the beginning. Or pushes near the end, a little more crowded at the end, a little more crowded at the beginning. That's what gives the humanity to it and the natural feel where it isn't so precise. Precision's nice, but it doesn't, you know, um, I think it's, uh, there's a lot of other, other ways, as I said, to play that same rhythm. Out of those 10 guys, someone's gonna play it dead on, someone's gonna grease it near the end, or how it feels, how, where they're, uh, uh, their dynamics, how they how they're enunciating certain parts of the rhythm, if that's the proper word. But uh, you know just what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Is there any other uh, P Funk tidbit or memory that we haven't covered here that uh, before we sign off, you're going to share? Good question, because it was. I mean, just oh, right. You know, uh, on the mothership, the bus, the old eagle, uh, doing things. Uh, Oh gosh, let's see, having them having to pull me out of some parties sometimes because we'd be down south and uh, I'd forget, I'd be like the only Italian there, we'll say. And then other times, Joe, the bus driver, and me having to go in certain places to get rooms because he was uh, more <laughs> where we could get rooms without being told there were no rooms things like that, which are not, you know, as much fun. And then uh, I think just uh, people wanting to play and the, the, the great talent, I mean, it just, the shows, uh, 
funny things in the bus, you know, like the bus breaking down and walking through South Chicago. <laughs> Imagine all of us, you know, I mean, where our stage clothes were the same as our street clothes, you know, I mean, or, you know, we look, so walking through the, our bus breaks down, walking through the South side of Chicago. And the people are like, well, yeah, yeah, it's, we're like, it's P-Funk. They're like, yeah, yeah, we're still looking at this. What are you guys doing walking down the street? You know, stuff like that. But um, just having a good time. Uh, first, I mean, really first major tour. So really just a lot to take in and a lot to, uh, and at the same time, it wasn't that, like I said, it was only, what, three years, 79, 881. And I was really in the thick of it. But that's when a lot was going. So a lot of studio work. Uh, you know, the brides, parlette. Um, just so much going on. It's almost hard to, in a way to pick out anything. Because it was like being with the circus somewhat. <laughs> yeah. Like five, lot, different, five or six different record labels too. Yeah, I think seven at the time. Because there was par a Parliament, Funkadelic, Bernie, Bootsy. Harlot, Brides, Horny Horns, all at the same time. Casablanca, Aristo, was it Warner? So it's always something to do. <laughs> I think I remember mostly uh, the studio stuff. I think mostly, I mean, just going in and being able to just set up and, you know, uh, really, really enjoy myself. I love that. No one bothering me at all. <laughs> Going out there and just playing, you know, we're live, first, but uh, that was just really having a good time, going out and having fun with your friends, I guess. So we had a ball. Were you surprised at how fast the empire crumbled? Not really, because of the the drugs that were involved and the people that were involved with the drugs. I knew that. Uh, um, you know, it was like the, the wolves had a, got into the hen house, you know, and so, and then you had, because of that, and that's why I left, uh, we weren't getting paid. And I actually, you know, like being the novice, I am, come on, you guys, I'm going to go talk to them. <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah, and I was just like, okay, I can't do this. You know, I had family, a couple of young uh, boys and a wife, and I, and I, they first, and I had other things I could do. You know, it wasn't like I was, you know, I felt sorry for some of the people that that's all they did. I mean, they're part of PFUN. But, I mean, I would go back to doing sessions and playing with groups around town, putting the old, my old, my band together, because, uh, and I, I, I said, I've always taught. I, I love to teach because I learned so much. And I was doing clinics at universities. Uh, I said, a column in a drum magazine. So I've always been uh, highly involved, a student of my art. But I realized, too, um, that you have to be multifaceted. You can't just be a studio musician. You, uh, and luckily, I was... Some people are not good live players and can play well in the studio or good studio players but look awful live or don't know what to do or don't like the stage. So lucky I had both of those things that didn't bother me and you know, I look so good anyway. 
And then uh, you had the giant hair too. Yes, I did. And then um, uh, being able to teach uh, and then being able to say, say do other, having a session player. So live. So when I left, it wasn't like, you know, God, what am I going to do? It was like, no, I got to leave because I can. There are other things I got to go make some money. You know? Yeah. Forget so, this noise. I got to keep food on the table. Yeah, and I could do it. It was an easy, it wasn't a hard, it was easy. You know, I just gone from there. Oh, uh, that was a, a good one. And speaking of, um, you know, I had, I, I came back from, um, it was playing like a Madison Square or something one night. Uh, and it might, it could have even been that night. I don't really remember, it probably was, when we didn't, the equipment didn't show but I came home, and it was, I did that like a Saturday. I came home on a Sunday, and the student said, hey, can you cover for my wife's pregnant? And it's like, you know, some little country, crappy little bar, like on Telegraph or something. And it was sort of delicious of me. I'm up there playing. It was delicious to think, man, I imagine if I went up to the bar right now and told that guy that I played, like, sold out Madison Square <laughs> on Saturday night. And here I am with four people in the bar on Monday. You know, it's like it gives you perspective, but it's 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 delicious at the same time. You can't get too um, too full of it. And and um, like I tell my students, also, you know, praise and criticism are the same thing. That probably what led me was just an offering. It's when they're not talking about you that are worried. <laughs> right. So you know, and as I say, um, I think if you free yourself, if you're really committed to what you do and are doing the best you can and, and I love it so of course I'm gonna do the best I can that it's uh I, you can't please everybody Lincoln says it please some other people none other people you know so I think it frees an artist up a lot when they can just say here here it is and uh that, I think that's what P-Funk was about <laughs> too here it is you know but with that commitment we really loved it loved the group you know, that, that was our mistress, you know. You, you were especially fortunate when I think about it that Bertino's Bounce it was on Electric Spanking because that originally was going to be a double album is what I understand. So when they cut it down to one, it still made the cut. So that's pretty fortunate. I still don't know how. I mean, I'm just like, it was a magic. I mean, I said I laid everything down. I was very inspired by it. And I knew from what I wanted to do, I mean, who knows? Again, who knows? I can't, uh, I try not to be judge and jury. I said that my stuff just, like I said, that's, as I say, within something I'm very proud of because, you know, you can't, uh, uh, and especially a solo percussion piece. <laughs> yeah. Far and few between on those. And, um, um, there's another. But uh, yeah, it was nice to, to have that in. Uh, um, and then have that, it's a validation of sorts, I guess, in, in the sense of that I am push me to go a little farther in the direction that, you know, that I've headed, you know, those are all good things that help. So, were, were, were you on the anti-tour that they did in 1978? I think they called the anti-tour because they did the small yes, uh, venues with the, with the military uh, outfits on and. Those were the Funkadelic tours. Yeah, I was I was at the one at the Starwood in Hollywood, California, which was like still to this day probably the most amazing show I've ever seen. With the, the what again? The most 
the most amazing show still to this day out of the hundreds of concerts I've seen that show at the Starwood in Hollywood, about 300 people. It's like three, four hours. The brides opened and yep. then it went into like three or four in the morning. It was like a hot sweat box. Yeah. It was incredible. Oh my, we would just go, go, go sometimes. And that, that I said, I remember, you know, shit, three, four hours, you know, just going, but, um, yeah, the anti-tours, we had a lot of fun with that because it was really about the music. Uh, there was no props. It was the fatigues, the anti-tours, the, the opposite of the parliament. And that became, like I said, the funkadelic. Well, that became music and the, the, the parliament became our background singers, even lead singers and background singers. But a lot of solo, I mean, we would extend a lot of solos. That's when we'd take our long drum solo too because it was like... We're just here to play. We're going to play until we're tired. I remember stum stumbling out onto uh, Santa Monica Boulevard, you know, at like three or four in the morning from that show, just like stumbling out, dripping sweat, and just being in this like mesmerized ultra funk state, you know, just a different awareness, a different level. It was something else. Yeah, no, it's like going to uh, what, like a, a, a sweat lodge. Or uh, uh, how should I say, in the spiritual aspect of it, the groove just going, for, you know, and that's why they said our, the, the elders would have the extended where the tunes, it would just be you and you could ride that, like the shamans used to ride their rhythms to the gods. So, yeah, yeah, I was hooked before then, but that for sure cemented me being hooked for life. Yeah, I was there if it was 78 in the anti tour. Yep, that was when. One nation hit, so then could go the, you know, they could do the, we could do our own. Uh, how should I say another? That was the, the funkadelic part. And then cool. the Glory Hella Stupid tour at the Santa Monica Civic, which was like early 79. Mm -hmm. I was at that show too. So I don't know if, if you were out on, on that. I'm assuming you probably were. Yep. All those till 81. I was on, I'm, uh, like I say that. I think it's 78, late 78, after that flat, the end of the flashlight tour, and then until 81, till everything fell apart. So I was on all, I was on all those. Yeah. Well, I was part of the band until I left. <laughs> well, I appreciate you spending all this time sharing these memories with us and, you know, talking to you. It's been a lot of fun. And, um, Thank you so much for all the great music over the years, Larry. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Well, I hope yes. to see you again. Yes, absolutely. Is there anything you want to plug before we sign off? Well, um, like I say, this uh, we're going to my, my drum devils and the next step of that. Um, it's a uh, it's a percussion ensemble um, as well as a teaching sharing. Um, some of these guys started with me in junior high, high school, um, that play. And uh, I've had this vision for a long time to have uh, um, uh, things to go back into the schools. We've, do, we've done that already through Focus Hope and uh, different things and even gone in ourselves. Um, but that's uh, um, the type of thing that I want to get going in my, the one thing I did uh, in the, uh, 99 was a chill up for charity, which went for three days, where the groove didn't stop. 
for 72 hours. Over 30 bands, and when the band, as soon as the band would stop, three percussions would play. This went for three days over the jazz festival in Detroit. We did it for Children's Hospital. So I would love to get, once this all gets going again, because I'm proud of to have that, uh, 24 hours of November's International Drum Month. So Halloween night at midnight, when everybody, especially these greasy stuff off, they'll start throwing more money in. <laughs> 24 hours starting Halloween night at midnight through November 1st for the children's hospitals. I'd love it to be eventually in Detroit, like LA, Nashville, New York, whoever I get my drummer guys. Um, I believe I could probably do it in Nashville, LA, pretty good at this point, but get my crew organized, get everything together, um, and then uh, drummers organizing that, bringing their groups in, that's how we did it here. So I got all the drummers together and they brought all the groups in. So my, one of my friends gave me his bar for three days. And that's what went on. So that's what be, I would love to do that. Um, I've been on a lot of tours. The worst tour I ever took was touring Children's Hospital. Because you can't just do it for Children's Hospital. You have to do it for uh, one of the units. So I, I came, they showed me all the units and gave me a list. This is a great story, too. Getting out of the list, I'm like leaving. I'm like, I'm like ready to cry, you know, right? I just, I'm like, okay, is everybody on the list? I was so exasperated from just what I'd seen. And she said, well, no, I go, the transportation unit's on there. She's like, you know, no one's born here. I'm like, what? So no one's born in children's hospital. They're all sick kids. But you have to inform the I said, well, tell me, what's this transportation unit? She said, well, don't born here. Everybody what about them? said, well, they pick up the kids. Oh, they're mascots of koala bear. They, they, and they're, that's what they do. So I said, all right, well, I got to go home and think about this. Talk to So I'm like, God, what am I going to do here? What am I going to do? Brain union, lung union, pick something. Go home, turn on the TV. It's a special on koalas. Thank you, Lord. Did the transportation unit. It was perfect. They came and parked their ambulance in front of the bar a couple times for a few hours, educated people about children's hospital, sold a few mugs or <laughs> so it was uh, it was really it was good because <laughs> I was like that was the worst two I ever took. We know about the best ones. But, so that's what I would love to be my legacy where once a year where right. come together and do something. Outstanding cause and and sharing the best thing of all music too. So yeah. If, if, if people want to get more information on that, how, how can they do that? Um, well, it, uh, I do have a website, um, drumdevils.com. Nothing, we're just getting all that set up again um, to really do this next push because I was between other things, but um, just be looking out for Drum Devils and we'll, uh, you'll be hearing when it does go because uh, um, I'll have my guys on it and I'm, on some of the tours, uh, I have some ideas for them to do some things that we can auction and do things. And, and then I'll, uh, but at, so far, this is all between moving studios and, and getting everything together. But that's that's what's in the works, what we're, we're hoping to do. All so. right. Excellent. Well, good luck with it. Good luck with all the projects you have going on. And so glad you're still at it, still making a difference out there. So thank you, Larry.
Thank you very much for having me. I hope to see you again. God bless everybody and keep that funk and keep the groove. And as I always like to say, when I sign off, in time. Perfect. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkandstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkandstuff.net, and linking through funkandstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results-oriented, professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the Media Services section at funkandstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkandstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Wolfine saying, keep on keep vibing on to the rhythm of the one.